welcome to the Kansas House Majority Party's uh, first podcast that we've ever had. This is your host, Speaker Pro Tem, Blake Carpenter. And for the program today, we're going to be talking to the Speaker of the Kansas House of Representatives, Dan Hawkins, and he's going to give us a little insight uh, as to what the first few weeks of his time in office have been, and also where we're going in the future and how we're working with the Senate uh, to, to pave the way for this the rest of this session. Now, what this podcast is being set up for is for you folks at home to be able to follow along and listen in on the important issues as we bring you facts, figures, and what the big ticket items are for the legislative session and really what the debate entails um, that is associated with everything that we're going to be talking about. So uh, I would like to go ahead at this time and introduce everybody to uh, Speaker Hawkins. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Blake. How you doing? Doing well, sir. Thank you. All right. So you've been in office now as Speaker for the fir- uh, for three weeks now. And before that, previously, you were the House Majority Leader? For four years. For four years. Yeah. Okay. So what are the differences that you see already between the, the Majority Leader that you've served in for four years and your first three weeks as Speaker? Well, I would say, Blake, first off, it's uh, it's Becoming the speaker is much easier when you've spent four years as majority leader. Uh, as majority leader, although I had certain tasks, certain a certain job that I had to do, I also had the opportunity to see what the speaker does. Uh, I, I, although I had lots of meeting, um, I knew his meeting schedule was much fuller than mine. Uh, I would watch people coming in and out of that office uh, all times of the day. So the speaker's office is a very busy office. But um, I was lucky in one respect in that the speaker brought me in on a lot of the details, especially the last year. Uh, last year as majority leader, uh, he would invite me in on certain things, some decisions. He would say, hey, you're going to have to make this anyway in the future, so just go on ahead and make that decision now. So he gave me an opportunity to really kind of get um, my feet on the ground before uh, actually becoming speaker. But uh, even knowing all of that, Blake, the uh, meeting schedule, uh, the time schedule is very intense. Uh, generally, I start my days at 6.30 in the morning. Uh, if it's a breakfast meeting at 6.30 or 6 o'clock, or if it's being in the office so I can get prepared for the day with that first meeting at 7, 7.30, um, uh, it's it's a long day, and then once those meetings start, uh, there's very little time in between. Uh, kind of like today, when we were on the floor, uh, you were sitting in the chair, and I was called back to my office uh, to talk to somebody, and so I missed, um, gosh, over half of your uh, floor session this morning. I was back in the office working, and and really that went really clear through until the end of the day. So it's it is a it's a pretty intense schedule that we have. Uh, but you get to meet so many great people, uh, people that you've never met before, uh, stakeholders that are coming in uh, to let you know about them and what they're doing and some of their needs. And so it's really kind of gratifying getting to see people from all across the state and, and learning what, what it is that government can help them with. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm already starting to feel a lot of those meeting pressures that you are. Yep. It's, it's definitely different than, than being just, you know, a member in the legislature. Whether, 
I was a chairman. You were a chairman. Yes. I mean, um, it's it's completely different than even just being a chairman. I mean, you're working bills, you're doing all those types of meetings and stuff, but you 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 stop focusing on just a singular issue, and now you're focusing on all of these issues uh, as they're coming up. You know, that's the one thing I would say is in the legislature, you have a certain progression, and being a chairman, especially of a policy committee, may be one of the most important first steps in your journey into the leadership ranks uh, because that usually those those chairs of the policy committees are very very busy also now they are focused on one area but they have all of those people that are coming to them for that area and so they they really kind of get used to the meeting schedule also um, and so really when you look at it, that chair is important then moving on to speaker pro tem or majority leader, getting that experience is very important. And, and it really truly does prepare you uh, to be a speaker. You know, uh, our, our prior speaker, Ron Reichman, he was a speaker for six years. He did things a certain way. And I do it different. Uh, I think everybody has already seen in our first three weeks that my speakership is different than his, which is really what we want. That's the reason why we... We want that turnover. And and within our body, our, our, our speakers turn over. I mean, up until Speaker Reichman in modern history, all speakers before him had really served only for four years. And so he, he kind of broke that mold and served for a total of six. Um, and so it, it's, I you know, seeing him as, as the speaker for that six-year period, I, I had previously served under a, a previous speaker to him, so had you. Right. And And those two speakers were completely different in their leadership styles, just like how your speakership is different than his. And it just, I think it's healthy for the institution that we shake this up. And, and ultimately, you know, when we look at chairman, let's, let's go ahead and break that down for our listeners here. So how does a, how does a person become a chair? Well, generally, generally a person, you know, they, 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 they come in and the first couple of years, their, their first term, they're really just trying to learn uh, our process. Our process is different than what anybody really thinks. If you went out and talked to um, a, a voter out there in the public, most of them have absolutely no idea what our process is. And most of us don't either when we come in. We have to learn that. That's, that first term is really a learning term. It's, a, it's an educational process of learning our job and the processes and the rules and all the things that help us to be successful. Then being able to get, a lot of times you, you get a vice chairmanship first. I didn't. Uh, I went literally from my first term to my second term being chair of health and human services. And it does happen. Uh, we have, what, four uh, sophomores this year that are chairs, so it does happen. Um, but that's not normal. Um, most of the time you become a vice chair, you learn that job. And, and, and generally, it's in a certain area. You really become, people specialize. Once they get up here, they, they find their niche. They find what's important to them. You know, it's kind of like you. You, you. you became the chair of elections. And even today, uh, people look to you about your thoughts on what we're going to do on elections. Same thing for health uh, that I was in. So I, so I became the health chair. I was the health chair for four years. And then... Um, you know, our body changed. Uh, our whole caucus changed, and, and I had the opportunity to become the majority leader. And all of those experiences for those six years 
really kind of set me up to understand, you know, the real job of the majority leader. And so, you know, truly it's a process for everybody. I don't care who it is that comes in here. It's a process of learning and then applying what you've learned. Yep. Yep. You're absolutely right. I mean, I can't echo how much what you just said enough because you, you become an expert in the area that you work on. And mm-hmm. usually it's, you know, you bloom where you're planted uh, yes. more or less. Cause yeah. as, as when you come in as a first time legislator, as what we call freshmen, um, most of us aren't attorneys. And no, so, no. so we got to learn those aspects of the law and those areas of the law and what's the case history. And okay, the Supreme court ruled in 1930 that this has to happen or, or what have you. And so that all leads to where we're at today it does. and it builds that history and that knowledge foundation that you have. And then you become the expert that people rely on within the caucus. Absolutely. So, um, as we move forward here, um, we're week three of your, of your speakership and, and ultimately of this legislative session. Now, when we typically come up here as as House members, we, we, we typically try to work with the Senate where we can. Now, when we work with the Senate, though, what has what has been kind of the, the past between the House and the Senate's relationship, and have they worked well together um, in recent history? So if you look at recent history, and, and, and actually our, our House and Senate are built in such a way that there's a natural tension between them. Uh, it, it truly is natural. Um, you know, the House is the people's house, and the House is a little bit more free-flowing. It's not quite as formal as the Senate. Um, it may be kind of like, um, you know, the difference between a, a a barn dance and a formal, you know? <laughs> Let's yep. put it like that. Um, you know, we, we have we have people in, in the House that, that bring bills, lots of bills. Some of them bring lots of bills. Some of them do, do, truly don't bring very many bills, or if any. Um, but they they all participate in the process in some way or another. And so I think it's I think the House is really a little bit more, I would say, friendly by nature. The Senate's very formal. Um, you know, they they their structure is made different. We're in the House when we go to speak. In the House, we go to the well, what we call the well, which is just the podium in the center uh, at the front, and we speak to the body. We speak to all of our um, colleagues in the House. We don't speak to to the Speaker. We speak to our colleagues. In the Senate, each one of them are standing there at their desk that want to speak. They have their own microphone, and they'll stand there until they're called upon, and then they speak. And, And they... They will speak to each other through the Senate president, so their their debates get very personal at times. Um, and a lot of times they think of things different. You know, they say that they may be the more deliberative body, but quite frankly, I'm not sure <laughs> that's true. I think the House is pretty darn deliberative. Um, but that does provide some tension between us. Uh, some of the things that we think about in the House, they think different and vice versa. And so there's na- that natural tension. And we've seen it. You and I have seen it over the years. But I've always thought that there should be a better communication between the leadership of the of the two bodies uh, of the two chambers, Uh, the speaker and the majority leaders and the speaker pro tem and the vice president should all have a natural dialogue. And that hasn't necessarily happened over the, the years that I've been here. Actually, there's that not only was there tension between the bodies, but there was tension between the leadership. Uh, sometimes I don't think they really liked each other at all. 
Yep, I've I've seen that on a few occasions. We have, <laughs> we've seen it, and so when it when I started the process of running uh, for speaker, I spent a lot of time talking with the Senate uh, the Senate pre- president Ty Masterson, and we had some really really great dialogues. And what's happened out of that is we pretty much talk about everything now. Um, and, and once you get into session, it's a little bit more difficult because we're both busy. Uh, you're busy. Uh, the majority of leaders are busy. And so it's not quite as easy just to say, hey, Ty, we need to talk. Um, but we still do. We still talk. But leading up to this, we spent a lot of time planning things out. Now, we had some big plans. Uh, and our plans involved Derek Schmidt. And that didn't happen. No, nope, uh, it did not. Uh, did not win in the election for governor. And so uh, we still had the same things that we wanted to get done. But we have to realize that the possibilities of those getting uh, getting across the finish line are a lot, uh, a lot less because now we have our same Democrat governor who will probably veto most of the things that we were really working on that we wanted. Yeah, and 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 for those listeners, so out there, a you know, when a governor vetoes something, you need two thirds in order to override that veto. And so right now, both the House and the Senate, the Republicans control both chambers with a supermajority, but just by a very slim margin. So for the House, we have 85 members, and it requires 85, 84 votes right. in order to override. In the Senate, it requires 27 members, and they have 28 Republicans. That's correct. And so really, uh, you can only lose two people in either body uh, before her veto is sustained, and we can't override that legislation. So we do have to take that into account as we work these bills, and we ultimately, do. you know, can we actually accomplish what we set out to do? No, and, 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 that's, and that's the calculus that we have to go through in working through the bills that we will actually debate on the floor is uh, there are some bills that we're going to want to debate and work and pass out no matter what. Um, doesn't matter whether the governor vetoes it or, or signs it. There are certain things that we're going to want to do. There's other things that are a little bit more contentious that we have to take into account. Can we actually get it across the line? And if the governor is going to veto them, uh, do we have the numbers to override her veto? Um, and, and we know those bills. You and I have oh, yeah. talked about them many times. We know those. Uh, doesn't mean that we won't do them. It just means that we may have to pare them down or work extra hard to make sure that those people who might disagree with us on pieces, that we work those uh, things through and, and, and get a consensus to where we can override those vetoes. So it makes it a lot more uh, difficult to do, a lot more time-consuming. It just means that we have to work a lot harder. Absolutely. Now, you, you were talking about how you're talking more to the Senate president, and, and so one of the great things about this is that, so you and I are from the same region of yeah. the state, so, yeah. so we get a chance to see each other at a lot of, uh, at a lot of events. Well, so is the Senate president, so he's sure. also at uh, a lot of the sim- similar events that we're at, because he's in Andover, and actually he has half of my House district in his Senate district, yeah. so I've gotten a chance to work with him really closely. Now, as far as working with each other closely, um, there's something that we did this year that um, I've never seen, and I don't think anybody's ever seen uh, who've, who've been here, you know, whoever has watched the process for decades, um, I, I don't know if they've even seen this, but there's the House and the Senate are seem to seem to be working more closely together, and uh, how about you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so 
so probably I would say it was back in maybe early August, right after the primary election, uh, I went to the Senate president and I said, listen, you know, one of the things that I hear over and over and over again from our uh, House members, our caucus members, is that they want a plan. And that's not new to us because we wanted a plan too. Back before we were in this position, we wanted a plan. There just never was really a plan developed that we could go by. And so I talked to him about it. I said, we need to come up with a plan. And what we need to do is we need to go out and talk to each one of our caucus members and find out what's important to them. What are the issues in their areas that they believe are most important? And naturally, by doing that, you're actually hearing what their constituents, their constituency's most important items are. And so they're, they're, they, they have talked to their constituents. They understand their areas. So they gave us a list. I literally kept a diary, Blake, as I went across the state. Uh, seeing all of our members. It's uh, lots and lots of pages filled with writing of all the things that, that they talked to me about. Now, we have 85. That took a lot of time uh, to go a- across the state and talk to all of our members. That was at least 2,000 miles on my car. Yeah, I think <laughs> I actually put about 6,000 total on mine. Wow. Um, Ty, the Senate president, did the same thing, except he only had to talk to 28 people. And so he went out and talked to those. Then we developed this plan called a better way. It's a bottom up approach, not a top down approach. You know, a few years ago, uh, the speaker, majority leader and the the speaker pro Tim came up with a five point plan. And we thought it was great. We thought it was was five bills that we thought were very important, but our caucus didn't think it was so important. They felt like that's a leadership plan. That's not our plan. They didn't ask us, they just did it. And so this time we felt like doing a bottom-up plan was much better, meaning the information comes from our members, then we assimilate it and come up with a plan. So what we came up with was a plan called a better way. And the better way is made up of, I'm going to call it eight buckets. Uh, So they're just areas of interest, and you can put a lot of different things into those areas of interest. Uh, they're, they're, uh, They're items such as, it's your money our commitment to taxpayers. It's, uh, it's your health, our commitment to a free market healthcare. It's your future, our commitment to uh, focus on students. It's our economy, our commitment to free enterprise. Help wanted, our commitment to grow the Kansas workforce. Protecting the vul- vulnerable, our commitment to the Kansas safety net. Law and order, our commitment to a safe and secure Kansas. And lastly, freedom starts here, our commitment to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So each one of those buckets, we call them, we'll call them buckets, uh, we we, we went in and started developing uh, those things that we had heard from our members, and they were just ideas. They weren't bills. They were just ideas. They were just issues. Um, that were kind of common to everybody. We developed that and then we rolled that out uh, to our caucuses on uh, the day before. I think it was, uh, actually it was, it was uh, that was Tuesday. It was, a, it was the second day of session when we rolled it out to the caucus. Yep. And we had all gotten so together as January leaders. January 10th. Yeah, January 10th. We'd all gotten together as leaders, uh, both on the Senate and House, discussed them. 
Uh, it was actually quite a process trying to get there. We had so many revisions that we went through before the final product came out. Uh, one of my staff members, Kale, uh, literally was working the weekend before we started making sure we got all of the stuff printed and ready to go to our, our caucuses. So they rolled it out on Monday uh, the 9th. We rolled it out on uh, Tuesday the 10th. And then on Tuesday the 10th, we had, for the first time I think ever, that you saw that many House and Senate members together for a press conference. We held a press conference that probably had, oh, probably close to 100 people behind us uh, in the uh, in the uh, ceremonial Secretary of State's office. We we sort of, I mean, we really ran out of room. There was people standing off to the side that couldn't even get into into the group oh, yeah. because of how many people were crammed in there like sardines. So it was a great turnout. They but were shoulder to shoulder. That, yes, we were. Packed. Yes, we were. <laughs> really so was. absolutely. And of course the press was there and, and, and uh, of course the press asked lots of questions. Some of them not very pertinent to the issues, but uh, the press does what the press does. That's one thing I like about these uh, podcasts. We can talk about things and, and, and talk freely. We're in a press conference. It's not quite as easy to, um, but our members on both the House and the Senate side were in lockstep in supporting this. They do feel like it was their document. And I think that is, without a doubt, the most important thing of The Better Way is that it's our members' document. Exactly. And and not only that, but I mean, just this morning at a caucus meeting, we were talking about how many bills had been introduced and yes, what bills yes. were in each of these categories yeah. that we can look at and how it's supporting free market principles or how it's supporting people's health cares or election integrity taxes. or taxes, all these yeah. issues. And so we're watching those bills come through this process and we're basically tagging these bills with the various things that are in this better way plan. And so it's allowing us uh, and, and not only us as a leadership team, but all, all of us as a caucus to have that buy-in from our members, which we just haven't seen in the past. And no. so I think that this is going to be something that's great for Kansans because ultimately at, at, at the end of the day, this really is what Republican foundational principles look like in all of these areas and how we are actually uh, leading this state and how we are putting um, legislation on the governor's desk that is... Um, not just giving handouts to people, but it's giving them help. It's it's helping them up, and it's also doing you know whether it's uh, decreasing taxes or making sure that our elections are legitimate. It's it's all of this. This whole package applies to that entire thing. That's why I'm excited about it. And ultimately, I think that you're going to see uh, this type of solution or plan moving forward. I think hopefully as we go into each of these next sessions. Um, as we start them, because it is a, a good foundational document to build from. So, so two things there, it's our roadmap. This truly has become, because now we're starting to see all of these bills come out that are put into each of these buckets. So it's our roadmap that we can use over the next two years, our biennium, to see not only where we're going, but what we've done. So it also becomes a scorecard for us. Absolutely. As those bills are passed, go to the governor and vetoed or, or signed, if they're vetoed, if we can get an override and we pass it that way, it becomes a scorecard that we can check off as we go along. We've done this for our citizens. We had a commitment. We, we kept our promise and we, and we got it done. And so I think at the end of this biennium, 
our caucuses, both on the Senate and the House side, will be able to look, and, and, and truly it's being tracked. We've got folks, you're, you and, and the majority leader are tracking these things. Uh, we can literally see what we've done, and I think that's going to be important. Uh, a year and a half from now, when we're starting back into an election, and actually at that point in time, the Senate will be too, Yep. Uh, that, we can, that we can say, this was our roadmap, this is what we did, we delivered on the promises that we, we said we were going to set out to do. Absolutely. No, so, well, thank you so much for coming out uh, today and, and being on the podcast for the first inaugural podcast here that we have. Uh, I'm hoping that we can get more podcasts in with you over as time goes on and we can get updates from you. Uh, we'll be reaching out to caucus members, chairman, vice chairman, or, or other experts that we have on the issues, and we'll be talking to them for other episodes in order to uh, pick their brains, especially as we start diving further deep deeper into these issues especially where they have that knowledge base and i think that uh hopefully there will be a lot of people out there that will start listening to this podcast that will start really getting an education as to you know why is this issue so complicated and then those individuals who are experts can start walking us down the road as to well here's all these 10 barriers that are in the way and this is why it's not such an easy issue or well it's easy we just got to make sure that we can find the votes to do it you know blake one of the things that we have problems with is getting our message out. Absolutely. You know, the press loves the Democrat side. Uh, they will put their information out. What we hope really comes from this podcast that you're doing is that all of our members put it on their Facebook, get it out to the people, because that may be the best way we can get our information out. Uh, we are going to do some different things this year, but this is integral. These podcasts are really integral in, in giving our voters a look on the inside of what we're doing. Correct. It's it's going around the media filter that we it experience um, up here uh, every year, every day, and, and it ultimately allows us to communicate our message the way we want to communicate our message and not having some you know, liberal lens put in front of it and then refract it out the other side. Um, and so I think that this is going to be a great opportunity for our caucus. And it, it ultimately is going to be, I think, great for every member and ultimately their constituents, because this is the reason why we're doing it is so that people can hear directly from us. And and without that filter that, that could be potentially uh, there in, in a lot of media outlets that exist today. So, Mr. Speaker, thank you again so much for, for coming out here today. Really appreciate it. And to everybody uh, that's listening, we hope to have another podcast here for you soon. And ultimately... Um, we're looking forward to, to your feedback on these, on these products, whether it's on Facebook or, or emails. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, we're looking forward to providing this information and service to you folks, the people of Kansas. Thank you so much. We'll uh, see you all and talk to you. I guess we'll talk to you all next time. So thank, thank you so much. Thank you, Blake. Thanks.